Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. Thrilled to have returning to the show, writer and analyst for MLB.com, the maritime muscle, the beast from the east, Keegan <laughs> Matheson. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Thanks for taking the time. What's up, fellas? It's happy to be here. I uh, I, I might steal those for my pivot to a wrestling career. One. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Looking for a way out. Always looking for a way out. That might be it. Do that maritime <laughs> wrestling circuit that I always saw at the hockey rinks growing up. Are you a wrestling fan, Keeks? Back in the day, I was. Yeah. And I feel left out now because, my God, if there if there are stereotypes about people in my industry, um, well, there's a hundred. Most of them are bad (laughs) and true. Um, You know, baseball writers like Seinfeld and Springsteen. I'm not a good Mm -hmm. baseball writer, I guess, but (laughs) in sports media, it is adults who never stopped liking wrestling, and it's uh, I I I can't fit in with it anymore. I never kept up. I feel like it's in a golden era. I'm missing out on, but. Back in the day, back in the day, I loved it. Really, really wasted a lot of my life on the old WWF video games. But uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, me too, buddy. Me too. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, By the way, before we even get into this, big congratulations on surviving the last week of Shohei Chaos. You even came out of it still liked and respected, which is you know, better than a lot of some of the other writers in Major League Baseball. You no, know, barely, you know, barely. barely. It's, it's kind of like how when someone gets elected president and 40% of the country still wants them dead, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, this was not a good week for Blue Jays fans. And it was uh, not a good week for, well, I say not a good week for sports media as if sports media has had a good week since 1962, you know, (laughs) but uh, not good. It was a, um, I've described it a couple of times as a revealing week and I'm letting the word revealing do a lot of work for me here. I think. Yeah. Have you ever seen anything like Friday? No, no. And I'm, I try to be really careful about, not stepping in hyperbole and, and going mm. too crazy. I don't know if we ever will again, honestly. Yeah. Um, it felt like one of those last gasps of you know good Twitter. And I'm not talking about the reporting and media side of it, but I mean from, no, from no, a no. standpoint, it was a bunch of people losing their minds all at once and being completely unhinged. And I mean that in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Like that's a job. Go crazy about this stuff. You know, it's, it's, I am, you know, as my job, I can love the sport of baseball. I don't care who wins or loses. That's part of being a, a journalist. I, I've allowed myself to stay a Green Bay Packers fan because there's no chance I'll ever cover them. I'm okay. I'm a basketball fan. Don't really have a team. You know, sometimes I hope a team wins or loses by three and a half points or, you know, for whatever <laughs> reason. But it, it's, it reminds me, and I think this is important for me and for people in my job to be reminded of – who fans are, how much fans matter without fans going as crazy as they did on that Friday. I am, you know, working a real job. I'm still on a lobster boat. I'm still digging ditches. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was one of those last glimpses and it ended terribly, but you're seeing videos of people standing on their front porch, waving up in the air at an airplane that they have been <laughs> tracking on the phone all day. It's nuts. And it's the perfect, most beautiful kind of nuts for fans. Unfortunately, it blew up. You know, unfortunately, it was misreported from the start, misreported mm-hmm. at some points throughout. And I feel for fans in that because there's nothing more intoxicating than that hope. You know, it's Otani's the type of guy that once he's on your team, it's fun forever. In a lot of these cases, the pursuit and the day that a player signs is as fun as it gets. And after yeah. that, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of two and outs in the wild card series and stuff like that. Ooh pop of excitement as it's happening and when it's happening is nuts. And there was such an incredible glimpse into that. And then unfortunately, a lot of glimpses into how and why these things go wrong. Like Adam and I fought 
the getting swept up in the Otani stuff so hard, man, honestly. And Friday ruined me. Like, Friday ruined both of us. Like, we had literally managed to stave it off almost till then. And then it was impossible not to be like, holy shit, are we getting Shohei Otani? Like, <laughs> yeah, because it moves from the stage of of what happens in the fan world, which is flight tracking and yeah. that airplane, the same Sushi one. restaurant reservations and... <laughs> exactly. I mean, I 20 years from now, someone is going to say the word opera singer sushi reservations to me. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget why, but my brain's going to start ticking. But <laughs> that entire morning, I'm trying to, to remember the chronology of it all, but it, it started with that report from the LA Dodgers blog that it, it was Toronto. Yeah. Um, which has since been taken back and replaced with an apology that was one of the weirdest things I've ever read. Um, <laughs> it was performance arts. Uh, but that, of course, people are going to start believing. It's the media's yeah. job to get it right. It's the fans' job to get excited. Um, yeah. As the day was unfolding and that airplane finally took off, uh, there was the report that Shohei Otani was on that airplane. Uh, it was reported by John Morosi in a tweet that he has mm -hmm. since redacted, saying that he got bad information. So it's, uh, you know, it's not the fans' fault for getting excited. <laughs> you know, it's, there aren't many moments like this. It's you know, tough to, it's, it's Look tough at last to for, sorry, you know, yeah, when, go ahead. When last season started, there was a lot of excitement going into the year. And what a weird drag of eight months that was. You know, these moments where you can just lose your mind don't come around all that often. Um, Shohei Otani comes around never. And for... You know, for a week, you could really believe the Blue Jays were finalists. For 12, 16, 18 hours, fans had every reason to believe that this was probably, legitimately probably going to happen. And when you get that ripped out of your chest, my God, that, that doesn't compare to you, Darvish. That doesn't compare to anything else that's happened. No. I don't think Blue Jays' history. It's this funny, was the most fan. excited I've been in like a singular moment since, I mean, the first Vladdy home run derby was electric for a really cool, unique way, uh, just blasting so many home runs. Uh, and then the Jose Batista bat flip. And I can't think of a third moment that's been more exciting to me as a Blue Jays fan than just the, like, yeah, the tracking of the plane and like, oh my God, I didn't want to believe it, but it is it's happening. Like, why else would this be happening? Oh, I feel like such a it's heartbroken It's tough as fool. a fan, too, to forgive what went down, but honestly, just like reeling the microscope out a little bit and just realizing what Shohei Otani's camp and agency pulled off. Like, honestly, it feels like they threaded a needle that would have been so easily derailed. Like, I look at it and I'm just like, man, like, even if they did feed misinformation, even if this was more orchestrated than everyone thought it was, like, this could have jangled and fallen apart at any moment right like they were pulling blocks and like it was just again yeah. as a fan i hate it but like just as like trying to be objective super impressive yeah it brings me to the contract itself people are mad because their team didn't do it that's it mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's i i see so many people suddenly getting upset about tax law and the cba you're not <laughs> upset about that you are not upset about the state of california missing out on all those taxes 96 million bucks in tax you're upset that your team didn't do it, and that's okay. It's it's so unique, uh, it's so painful for fans, and and I I I do sense there's a, a an effort or or an energy in some places to to say it was always the Dodgers, it was never the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays got played. Okay, well, if they did, that's how negotiations work, and it's your job not to get played. It's like yeah. when my mom calls me because she clicked on another phishing link in an email. Okay, I feel bad for you, but it happened again. Link, you know, um, and you know if, if that's what happened to some extent, that's uh, that's how the game works. And if it was you know straight all Dodgers, I don't I don't believe this was one where teams were getting fake stilted up against each other. You know, we've seen the comments from the Giants over the last day that they were right there in that range. Mm -hmm. and, I'm I'm extremely hesitant always to trust any numbers that come out afterwards. You know, it's I offered X, I offered Y. Easy to say a few days mm -hmm. afterwards. It, it sounds like teams were genuinely in. I think the Blue Jays were legitimately in. They wanted Shohei Otani. They wanted to do this whole thing. 
it just didn't work out. And that is the the harsh reality of being a big boy in Major League Baseball. Uh, it's This isn't 10 years ago where you miss out on a Darvish or a superstar and say, wow, the little Toronto Blue Jays were involved. Um, you know, not that Toronto has a inferiority complex at all. Oh, but, no. <laughs> no, no. But now at the point the Blue Jays are at, where they're legit contenders, they're legit spenders, they're sitting at that table. If you miss a guy, you just miss him. And that sucks. It's the reality that the New Yorks and LAs and big spenders have lived with for a while. But if you miss him, it's you're you're in the same boat as as Oakland and everybody else. You just don't have Shohei Otani. Which means the Blue Jays are in the midst of pivoting here. We sit December 13th today, and there's yet to be a significant signing or move for the Blue Jays to this point. But I do feel like once it happens, the dominoes may fall fast and furious. And, uh, of course, there's rumors that the Jays are in big on Cody Bellinger. There's rumors that they're also kicking the can at Yamamoto. Uh, and I know that just yesterday, Ben Nicholson Smith kind of came out and said that the Jays have really cast a wide net when it comes to possible trades. When you look at the landscape, how likely do you think it is that the Jays do something significant that no one saw coming? make a trade that may be a little bit off the radar that helps fill some of these needs. I, I think that's very likely, more likely than it has been in a lot of years. And I I hate using some of the fenced language, couched language myself, because that's how we get into a lot of these messes with, uh, you know, <laughs> with reporting. Um, you know, it's because, uh, and that's another aside. I mean, other sports don't do this. In the NBA, Woj tweets when a guy signs. In the NFL, Schefter tweets when a guy gets traded. There's not this interested, talks, maybe, fit. It's I could go for 20 hours on why baseball media drives me nuts, I think. But um, it, it's... Source in- says, and then there's a maybe right in the next line. <laughs> yeah, maybe, might, could. But it's... I, I do make an exception in this offseason uh, to be a bit vague or uncertain on it. Because I feel like it's never lined up this well for the Blue Jays for, for a few reasons. And I think the reasons at least need to be concrete. Uh, number one, if you're ever going to make a foundation shifting move, this is the offseason. This is the version of you know Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez for Joe Carter, Robbie Alomar. Those were guys in their 26, 27, 28-year-old range trading Fernandez and McGriff. Um, that does not immediately mean you trade Vladdy, you trade Bo. But if there's ever, ever, ever an offseason to consider trading legitimate pieces for other MLB pieces, it's this one. The Blue Jays have laid a lot of groundwork on the trade market. More than usual, I feel, because free agency is not great. It's okay. It's not great. I think when you go to the trade market, there are a lot of ways you can try to recreate what you did with Matt Chapman a couple of years ago. You know, a, a guy with a couple of years left who is very good, Maybe their team's not dying to spend the extra 30, 40, 50 million bucks. And I think there are many ways the Blue Jays can shoot bigger than that. You know, they don't have the world's best farm system, but they have money. And Mm. I think this front office, because I know right now is when all of our listeners want to hear about the strengths of this front office. So here I am. But uh, I think they do do a good job of using money in trades in past years. A lot of the times that's been smaller scale to get a prospect back. But I think using money as a tool in a trade is something we don't talk about enough. And the Jays are in a really good spot to do that. So when you look at that, you look at the roster makeup long term, I think, is another. You've got two years left of Vladdy and Bo. You've got three of Kevin Gossman. I know there's no team out there with five superstars signed for 20 years. Like, it doesn't last forever. But the Blue Jays are entering very much like a win now you got to do it this year or next year type of situation. So if there's ever a time, it is now. And given that free agency doesn't offer a ton of answers right now, beyond Bellinger, Yamamoto, otherwise you're just looking at piecing it together and trying to rebrand an offense in a market that's not all that great. And I think this offense needs a pretty legitimate rebranding. When you look at organizations that they could use this clout they have financially to improve the team, I mean, uh, yeah, the Milwaukee Brewers come to mind. Uh, The Padres have stated that they need to shed salary. I mean, they moved Juan Soto. Uh, 
who are some of the teams that just off the top of your head, this could be a match that they could use some financial aid and Toronto has the money to do so. Yeah, you look towards those teams, you look at smaller markets. Now, teams like Oakland have already gotten rid of everybody, but you look towards smaller markets and part of this equation, which is new and can be confusing, even in my seat here, is looking at all of these different markets, what they are dealing with in terms of broadcast deals and their regional sports rights. That's where so much of this money comes from. A lot of teams are kind of in a period of change or a period of struggle with those. It's going to change the financial landscape of baseball quite a bit. So teams like San Diego are, are already showing willingness to do things like that. When you look at a, a team like the Rays with this potential glass now deal to LA, that's about money. Money is coming in. You can also look to teams that even have money, but they realize they may not be extending this guy forever. You look at a Pete Alonzo, you look to teams like the Brewers, you look where there are players getting close. You look at the White Sox, you look at some of their sluggers, teams that you can convince them, hey, realistically, are you keeping this guy a year and a half, two years from now? Um, you could say the same thing to the Blue Jays about a couple of guys, but I don't know if many teams have stakes as high as the Blue Jays um, mm -hmm. because not only are they trying to win, uh, they are, you know, if I look out this window, I can see the tip of the Rogers Center there. And they are putting in a bunch of seats that are not cheap. You got to sell them at least for a couple of years to pay off a $300 million renovation. So money is more than lineup fit, more than player style. I think money is a bigger factor this offseason than we have seen in this entire competitive window uh, for the Blue Jays. So speaking of money, obviously one of the biggest needs for this team is the hot corner. Matt Chapman, now a free agent. And I think it's pretty safe to say this fan base is at best divided on the return of Matt Chapman. Have you heard anything on that front? I know that the Blue Jays are interested and there are reports that they have made offers in the past. How would you feel about a reunion with Matt Chapman personally? And where do you feel the Blue Jays are at in those negotiations? Be a tough sell, uh, fan wise, marketing wise. Hey, it didn't work out. We didn't get Otani. Let's run it back. I, it's a tough fit there. Now, Chapman, I think, will be better offensively than he was those last five months, but, but how much better? And how much can you and bank? It's tough on? to be worse. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was rough. It looked bad too. It wasn't just, you know, it, it wasn't like apparently every single other player that was just bad, bad at ball luck. Chapman's mm -hmm. actually looked bad. But I think this could be a situation, there is interest, you know, the, the Blue Jays have talked to him about that. I think this is a situation where both sides are really waiting out to see what's kind of an uncertain number where he comes in on. That might be one where if I'm Matt Chapman and his agent, I'm probably waiting until the Bellinger type is off the market. You know, teams that are really looking for that one big, great guy. And after that, the market's not all that exciting. So Matt Chapman will get bumped up maybe a little bit. Other than that, you know, Candelario made some sense. The Blue Jays liked him. Obviously not enough to sign him away from, from Cincy. But I think third base is a place that you can really piece it together. I'm not saying that's a great plan. I'm just saying it's a possible one there. In left field, for example, assuming Varsho's in center, I don't know if you can piece together left field as much. I don't know if you can piece together that number five rotation spot and who's going to compete with Alec Manoa. But with what the Blue Jays have, third base, I'll kind of loop in with that second base backup, mm -hmm. who's the other Santiago Espinal type. You have David Schneider, you have Arelvis Martinez, you have Addison Barger, you have Ernie Clement in that group, you have Leo Jimenez entering his final option year in that group. You have some infield depth in-house. Maybe you pair that with a God, a Gio Urshela type of guy. There's there's the Evan Longoria's, the Justin Turner's. They're getting a little up there to be playing too much. But that Gio Urshela type of player, and I can just hear people absolutely rushing to Rogers Center to buy tickets. <laughs> but a guy who you're comfortable starting, who will be solid enough, who will probably put up similar or better numbers to Chapman offensively, won't be the same defender. But in that situation you're okay with him getting leapfrogged. 
if it's June and the prospect's playing better, whatever, play the prospect. And that allows you to be in a place where you're approaching that job in terms of quantity. And I think that can work. Now, just having one prospect, you're going to lose. But good teams have four or five at the same time. When we're talking Schneider, Martinez, Barger, Jimenez, right in that group, uh, Damiano Palmigiani is another one I, I should include in this. When you're looking at four or five guys, two or three of them are going to completely flop. A year from now, we'll never talk about them ever again. It's the harsh reality of baseball. But when you've got four or five, one of them's going to pop. You can get one of them to pop. Looks like it's David Schneider offensively. I think he's more of a second baseman, backup corner outfielder. But that quantity approach might end up being uh, the solution here, especially uh, if the Blue Jays invest their assets more in left field and pitching because the easiest path to filling one position for cheap, I think, is third base. I know you mentioned starting depth and the possibility of a starter to compete for that fifth spot with Alec Manoa. So let's talk the big man. Alec Manoa obviously had a, I can't, I can't think of a more tumultuous season for a guy coming off uh, getting Cy Young votes, you know, like it just didn't make sense. I can see a rebound coming his way next year because again, kind of like Matt Chapman's, uh, offense it's tough to get worse than where he was at obviously after such a down season rumors are circulating about he could be traded he could be moved where are you at on that do you think it's more likely he's traded or do you think it's more likely they run him back and we see Alec Manoa in a Blue Jays uniform come spring training I think he's back, uh, but if we're talking about, you know, majority, I think he's back. There's there's still a, a, a very real chance he is the guy that's included in a, a larger deal. Um, whether you want to call that the 10, 20, 25, it, you know, it's not 1%, it's not 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's real enough. You know, that's not all just smoke. And if you are another team, if you are a team like the Padres, like Chicago, um, very hypothetically, uh, not reporting, but hypothetically, if it got to any of those points, if you're the other team, Alec Manoa is the type of guy you want to ask for. Because by getting a Manoa type back, or by getting any of those infielders I just talked about back, they're great, great trade pieces, you're at least saying to your fan base, yeah, we're taking a step back, but we're not trying to sell you on a 16-year-old kid who's going to play for us in 2030. You know, those are the MLB-level pieces you like. I still think he is in spring training with the Blue Jays, and I still think this team needs to have competition uh, for him. Mm-hmm. That probably comes in the form of swingman types, you know, Mitch White types, Ross Stripling types, mm-hmm. who if the Blue Jays don't throw the guy into the rotation, you've got a reliever, you've got some depth. But even if Alec Manoa was doing great, I still think this team has walked on, on some thin ice the last couple of years. You know, you look back to 2022 and Ross Stripling, like he saved this team's ass that year. Because when Ryu went down, Ross Stripling just stepped in and gave them a three ERA when they had no real pitching depth beyond that. Uh, Look at last year. Manoa was brutal. Their first solution was Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis in a bullpen game. That's not starting depth. (laughs) Credit to Trevor Richards and to Bowden Francis. They locked that down. They did great. I was really impressed. But that's not a plan. No. And by the time Manoa was sent down again, here comes Hunjin Ryu atop his white horse ready to save this team. It's not always going to work like that. My God, it's not always going to work like that. There will be a year soon enough where they need 10, 11, 12 starters. That happens a lot. And full credit to the four veterans and to the Jays training staff. It's not easy to keep those guys healthy and going every five days. But luck catches up eventually and... Manoa or not, I think this team needs at least one more legitimate guy who you don't mind starting for 20 games this year. Let's circle back here. I agree 100% with what you're saying on some starting pitching depth, but you did talk a little bit about how internally third base could be filled. And honestly, I, I, I truly view it that way as well. I think if not third base, second base will definitely be filled internally. And I think for the first time in years, there are those options within the organization that could pop off. You know, you 
you you mentioned Davis Schneider and Damiano Parmigiani who made a big bunch of noise at at the Arizona Fall League and you got Addison Barger and there are those names that could fill an internal need and and provide production. If you were to give one name that you feel is the most likely to make the team, fill a need and be productive and it doesn't even need to be out of spring training, it can be an early call up. Who is your money on? Alan Roden probably uh left fielder um Alan Roden is not a sexy prospect he is not a Relvis Martinez's power he is not Desan Brown's speed defense he's not you know a lot of those things but he really embodies the type of hitter the Blue Jays are trying to develop you saw it a bit with Spencer Horwitz you've seen it a bit with recent draft picks Guys coming out of college who might not jump at you because they don't have the big pop, the big exit velocities, the big numbers, but just an on-base monster, like a monster on base. Um, I, I know a lot of the names we were talking about were, were third base guys. And, and for anyone listening who, you know, has a healthy brain and doesn't, uh, you know, track double A prospects, it, you know, Roden would be the left fielder in yeah. this situation. Now he needs time in AAA. Maybe AAA exposes something. And again, we're not talking about him in a year, but he has put himself on that path. The Blue Jays really, really like him. And just like Spencer Horwitz, I think that when you have a plate approach that's that good, it's going to translate. Uh, it, it will translate to the big leagues. You need to hit for some power. You need to defend well enough. You can't just be an on-base guy that doesn't do anything else. But I, I think that he deserves a bigger part in a lot of discussions. Um, so Alan Roden is one that I certainly lean towards. Um, David Schneider, to me, he's part of the team. I don't even yeah. know if I view him as a prospect. Otherwise, you're dealing with a lot of very, you know, capital P prospect types. Mm-hmm. Aurelvis Martinez might hit 40 home runs. He might strike out a billion times. His plate approach has gotten better, but put him up against the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. We'll see. Addison Barger is a guy that I think this same time last year, maybe February, March, I said a year from now. So today, Addison Barger might be your starting third baseman. I don't think that as much anymore. Maybe he's infield slash right field where he has that big arm. Leo Jimenez, just based on him having one option left and being a good defensive shortstop, I think he is closer to a job than a lot of people think. Um, Paul Gianni is really the the dark horse in this. And I don't think that'll stay that way for long. I think he's going to get a legitimate look in spring training. Um, There's a lot of Davis Schneider to him. Uh, A, he's a big, thick guy, um, not drafted in a high round, and commits to pull power. I know Blue Jays fans are desperate to see a guy pull the baseball in the air just once at this (laughs) point. But his, you know, from talking to people who saw him in the fall league, his defense is getting to the point where it's better than just good enough. Like it's, it's getting to be decent defense at third base. So he'll be part of that. And I think we'll get some legitimate looks because everyone else we're talking about, whether it's Martinez, I think he might be a second baseman. Barger, I think will be some third, some right. Looking down the list, I think Schneider is more of a second baseman. Jimenez might be utility defense everywhere. I know that nobody plays one position anymore. I'd love to go back to the 50s and just cover baseball when a left fielder was a left fielder and I didn't have to hear the word versatility and flexibility one more time. But uh, there aren't a lot of guys who are, boom, third base. And I think Paul Majani is. So not a highly ranked guy. I think he's in the the lower levels of our top 30, but one that should get some more consideration. So the the mile-long answer is that I think Alan Roden deserves more of a conversation. And Damiano Palmagiani is a name that people will either you know, know or be learning how to pronounce uh, by the end of spring training. So for those of you listening who would like to know more about Alan Roden or Damiano Palmagiani, we had them on the podcast in the last couple months, both very intelligent kids. Didn't with... even know I was doing some good marketing there. there oh, <laughs> see, this is the thing, Keith. You fell right into my trap. Uh, <laughs> so check it out, gang. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, Keegs. 
Uh, one being absolutely zero chance, completely untouchable. Ten being, oh yeah, he's gone. Where does this front office sit on Ricky Tiedemann? 2.5. Nobody's a zero, but uh, they love the guy. And I think that there were some worries this past year when you're dealing with shoulder, you're dealing with biceps, you know, how that song goes, it's connected to the, connected to the elbow. <laughs> and so, you know, any anytime there's something that's, you know, two or three connections away from an elbow, you get scared. But Ricky Tiedemann came back very well, looked great in the fall league. I think he won fall league pitcher. Yeah, he won pitcher the, yeah. yeah. So it's going to be a tough year next year workload-wise. He had about 40-ish innings regular season added on in the fall league. I try not to use innings as much anymore because while he was at the complex, he could have thrown a 1,000 innings in the pitching lab or in backfields. So that's something that the Blue Jays know and we don't, you know, really what they would consider his innings. You know, I'm, right. I'm sure the modern MLB front office has a new word for, you know, workload, manage, blah, blah, blah. More syllables than I can think of, but put a plus yeah. on it. Put a no, plus on the front of it and a plus on the end of it, and you're set. But Tiedemann, I, I think, makes a lot of sense, guys, to join this team at some point next year as a bit of a hybrid. You know, you're not going to throw him out there starting every fifth day all season, but maybe you manage him through the early stages, doing those three inning outings like he was doing, and as long as he handles Triple A, which I think he should, then a month or two in by mid season, you have a lefty who throws 97 with an incredible slider when it's on, who is capable of dominating MLB hitting right now. Um, it doesn't always work that way. You know, I'm sure we can bring up a thousand stories. I wrote about Nate Pearson that did hmm. not exactly prophesize the future, but when you have these guys, it's so tempting to dream on them. And Ricky Tiedemann right now, represents not only the high end of their starting pitching depth, but some of the only starting pitching depth. You know, they traded away Sam Robertsa to the Cardinals. Uh, Adam Klopfenstein was in that trade as well. And mm -hmm. over the years, guys, even when we're not talking about number one guys, look at the the Thomas Hatch, Anthony Kay, TJ Zoic, like those types of guys, those number seven starters, if you will. None have really worked out for Toronto. Uh, those are the types you need to work out a few times. Even last year when they tried veterans like Drew Hutchison and uh, a couple of others they brought in, it hasn't worked out in terms of that starting rotation depth. So in a perfect world, the Blue Jays bring some in, but within a month, Ricky Tiedemann is that guy. And he's ready right away. And he is a guy that uh, very quickly, and honestly, I might even be, able to make this argument in spring training that if you're taking your 13 best pitchers ricky tiedemann is on that list i think i well hell i might even make that argument right now but it's a matter of setting him up for workload and if there's a mega deal to be found yeah the blue jays would move him not untouchable but i don't think they're looking for opportunities to move him speaking of fringe guys working out let's talk the tampa bay rays for a second here Ken Rosenthal reporting that it looks like a deal is almost done where Tyler Glass now and Manuel Margot, there's even rumors that maybe a Randy Rosarena is in this deal, is headed to the Dodgers for Ryan Pepiot and Johnny DeLuca. That's the starting point for the prospects the Dodgers would be sending over. And you would think that this would weaken the starting rotation of the Rays. I mean, all common sense would make yeah. me say on any other team, uh-oh, they're losing their race. And for some reason, honestly, Keegs, it's gotten to the point with the Rays that like they can lose two two aces. And I'm like, they're fine. They're still going to be a wild card team and maybe even shock us all and challenge for the division. Where are you at on the Rays? Do you are, are you at the point now where it doesn't even matter what they do in the offseason as they head into spring training? You're kind of penciling them in as a playoff team. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I, I do think that the the shine is slowly coming off of the Rays. Uh, you know, I, if uh, 
that sounds like something that if I said it about New York, it would be, you know, it would get clipped and I wouldn't be allowed in New York anymore. <laughs> this idiot says the shine is coming off. I, you know, I, I don't think anyone in the Tampa St. Pete region will be furious with me, but <laughs> their regular season success and their consistency of success is incredibly impressive given the money they have to work with. And the Rays do such a good job of doing what they do best. You know, they're not trying to be the Dodgers or the Yankees. They realize, hey, we've got 10 bucks to spend. Let's do it in a way that serves our individual identity. And that's how a guy becomes known as a Rays guy. You know, it just makes sense. That's a compliment when you are a an organization that develops your own prototype or, or archetype mm -hmm. guy. And I, I don't view them as threatening as I have in the past. Um, the the postseason success and runs have not exactly been there. Uh, neither is the Blue Jays. But, but I do think they are very much uh, remain a threat and remain a very likely playoff team, but also remain, you know, one of, if not the favorite in the division because they will always find a way. And while some of that steam kind of came off them late last year, they had a thousand injuries. Like they were beaten to hell last year. Mm -hmm. Blue Jays were very fortunate, very fortunate with injuries. So those two things will level out a bit. And I think the Rays will continue to be uh, very annoying. The Yankees will have Juan Soto. The Orioles, I mean, hey, they might have an owner who wants to spend money. And uh, the Red Sox have too much pride to suck for a while. So this division <laughs> is terrible to be in. So when you hop in your teleportation machine to beam yourself to Dodger Stadium in 2043 for floating head bobblehead day for Otani <laughs> to celebrate the final $68 million of his referral uh, paycheck, are there going to be banners hanging? Yes. Yeah, there, there will be. And it's... It's one of those where I, I'm so tempted to look at that Dodgers team. And, and part of this is just pessimism. And part of this is just seeing how pro sports work. Just look at it and say, that's it's not going to work. Think back to the Blue Jays making their mega deal with the Marlins. I remember they shot up to World Series favorites. 8-1, to 7-1, to 6-1. That season was a disaster. I think of anyone trying to build these mega teams. You know, I think back to oh, when I was, a you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it would have been that the Philadelphia Eagles signed every free agent in the world and they were a super team, didn't work. You see it in the NBA where it can work a little bit more because the rosters aren't as big. It's about three guys. Mm -hmm. But in, in larger team sports, when you load up with that super team, it's uh, it always about that worry <laughs> for me. But that being said, they're going to have a lot of runs at it. If they were loading up for one year, I would say, no, bet against them. That's where your money's to be made. Yeah. They've got years and years of this. Um, even if you're in the AL, I don't care if you're in the NL. Even if you're in the AL, there's part of me that looks at, the, at that roster and just thinks, like, what, what's everyone else doing? You know, what, <laughs> you have to try because you need to sell tickets. But my God, um, at this point, honestly, I think there's – it could go more in the direction of – chasing down that 119, 120 wins if they can stay healthy. Like, this could be wow. an all-time, all-time team. It does feel I mean, that way. You've got you Rookie up. Betts oh. as the most yeah. paid guy on the payroll. you got uh, Freeman, number two. But, like, who's your number 17th highest paid player this year? I'll technically show you. Oh, that Jeff Passa tweet blew my mind when he listed the oh, yeah the uh, Dodgers players ranked in order of expected salary. Oh, that Chris Davis is making more 17. money than Shohei Otani this year. Unreal! <laughs> it's hilarious and perfect. I'm sorry, Keegan. It's kind of funny you brought up the the Marlins trade that 2012. Man, I just was so convinced Josh Johnson was going to save that rotation. I was like, he's going to take us to the promised land. This is back when I was more of a baseball you know, fan before being in journalism. And I remember just thinking, you know what, Emilio Bonifacio, no one yeah. sees, but this is going to be the guy, probably because I traded for him on MLB The Show and stole a thousand bases or something. <laughs> a thousand bases, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were the World Series favorites, and that season was a complete disaster. So yep. you never know. You know, Winning the offseason never gets you much, but uh, 
you can sure lose the off season. <laughs> Keegan, thank you so much for taking the time. We always love talking baseball yeah. with you and appreciate having you on. Uh, you got a few more minutes for some listener questions. Let's do it. Fantastic. Right. Uh, by the way, before we get into listener questions, man, I loved your John Gibbons episode on the Gibby show. Dude, oh, you, two, you two talking baseball and swapping stories. I could literally listen to it all day long. Anyways, uh, uh, we'll I appreciate that. That was a Great fun job. one. You know? I, I think uh, I think Gibby took a I was talking to him recently and I said, you know what, Gibby, I think you took a look around after that one. And you you thought I, I, I took two teams to the ALCS. I'm one of the most beloved managers in Canadian sports history. And now I'm talking to this idiot on a podcast. (laughs) I think I I pushed him back into baseball, but uh, (laughs) that was a fun one. Catching up with Gibby. The Mets are lucky. I'm jealous of my Mets writer that he gets to talk every day. He's uh, he's one of the good ones. Any chance that Gibby podcast continues while he's a manager? I think they're doing a couple more episodes without him. And then it's going to stop for a while. I was nervous because... I, I was worried that I would be the final episode ever because it <laughs> like a day after my episode, it got reported he was the Mets bench coach. And I thought, man, like I I, I live in reality. I've seen the guests <laughs> he's had. I know mm-hmm. that I'm not the one, you know? I know there's a reason that I'm on episode 40 instead of episode three. You know, I know how <laughs> this world works. And thank God Gibby had, I think, Devin Travis on a couple days later before his contract was official. So... Someone more beloved in Blue Jays lore, and I didn't have to uh, be, you know, I, I'd be disgusted with the finales of all time. Oh, I get that sentiment. I've been the final comedian to play comedy clubs that are closing oh, yeah. down. Nothing like being like, yeah, I <laughs> shut down St. John, New Brunswick, yuck, yucks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right, we got uh, five listener questions to get to. So first one, not baseball related, comes in from Metal Manic, says, not baseball but relevant to both myself, Keegan, and East Coasters out there. Question, have have you found a decent place to get donairs and garlic fingers in Toronto? All right, how long do we have? Um, (laughs) No. When I moved to Toronto, I, I, number one, I knew I would hate it at first. When I moved to Toronto, I hated it violently for a few years. (laughs) In hindsight, I can admit I was just miserable and I took it out on Toronto. It wasn't the city's fault. But I was overwhelmed. I was miserable. And I remember one of the first days here, I, and this is how stupid I was. I walked into a pizza pizza and I knew there wouldn't be donairs. I knew that part. I'd come to terms with that. I was not ready for there to not be garlic fingers because <laughs> I understand. I, I'm a big believer that donairs haven't caught on in Toronto because they're not Instagrammable enough and this city is terrible. But garlic fingers can work. And I still remember walking in. And I said, um, I just walked up to the counter and I said, um, I didn't even look at the menu. I was just full townie mode. I'd been in Toronto for one day. And I said, yeah, can I just do like a, is there like a garlic fingers and combo pizza? And he just hears the word combo thinking I'm looking for a combo up on the board. No, I'm looking for a combo slice with, you know, the ground beef, the mushrooms, the the green peppers, like they have at Acropole, like they have at Sam's. (laughs) And then this man has the audacity to offer me garlic cheesy bread. I'm not looking for light, cheesy puff pastries. I am looking for thick, heavy, sopping wet. The <laughs> box ruins your pants because you set it on your lap on the drive home. Garlic fingers. Now, there are a couple of places in Toronto that have come around on garlic fingers that do a proper sauce. It's good enough. So I've got a couple of spots where I can order those from. Um, one of them is one of the pizza places I need. Is it Maker or one of those? Bar Poet, which is on King or Queen West. Bar Poet does have decent garlic fingers. I'm saying that within a Toronto context. They're yes. probably, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of the opposite of, or, or no, it's, yeah, it's the opposite of me. It's like a, it would be a Nova Scotia 3, but it's like a Toronto 9, you know? I go the opposite direction. <laughs> Donaires are the hard one, guys. And there was like a one year here where there was a Jesse's, I think, up on Dundas. It was a dump, but it was a Jesse's. Um, What I see too often, uh, the words that scare me are always East Coast style or Halifax style. You know, if if I ever see a place that just has the confidence to put donair, then I'll know it's official. And it might be like it. 
but it's uh, whenever I've seen it on a menu, it will always say Nova Scotia style Donaire. And I'll think, okay, that suggests to me that you're putting your own little twist on it. And I will not stand idly by as my people are treated that way. You know, it's uh, it's been tough. It's been tough, but I'm. This is where we're lucky as Albertans because the the exactly. maritime Alberta love, right? We've got we've got yeah. a king of Donaire. We've, in fact, exactly. one of my favorite things to do in Halifax was you know after you get a little sauced up and yeah. you're out one a.m. in the morning, I like being in that Donaire line and just saying loud oh. enough that everyone can hear. You know, Donaires were actually invented in Edmonton, and just watching everyone just like, Ugh! oh man, <laughs> I wish we had a king of Donaire so badly here and it, it it would it would do numbers i'm I'm convinced of it, it would of course it would that'll be my first stop when i get home it, it's in where i live in picto county i will go to acropole for a donaire and uh probably a combo pizza and then when i'm in halifax i will go to the king of donaire i will go to tony's where they shave it nice and thin and then i will go to my number one food when i go home it's the only thing i ate in university it's probably responsible for my early death is Randy's Pizza on Gottagen honey garlic fingers. Garlic fingers made with some honey glazed on the bottom. God, it's as good as it gets. That's the best answer I think Very we've had to a listener question. Yeah. In <laughs> Finally got to my episodes. real passion after 45 yeah, minutes right. of baseball. You're not, objective. You're not objective about donaires. That's for oh, baseball. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next one comes from Mish who says, my question for Keegan would be, has he lost respect for some of his colleagues, both at home and south of the border through the course of all this, without naming names, of course? And how does it sit with him going into the 2024 season? Uh, and then she goes on to say, does he feel the need slash desire to shine a light on slash defend how awesome Canada and Toronto is, specifically the baseball scene? And how awesome slash dedicated the fan base is towards the team and players, both here and south of the border and abroad. Yeah, starting with the latter piece, I I do in a sense, you know, it, it, it's and my God, if we're at a point where I am defending the city of Toronto, this is dark, guys. <laughs> some some of the you, American we did just hear your four minute rant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm out here defending a city that can't even do garlic fingers right, but it's. it's you know, broadly across both, I, I will say that um, how Friday unfolded, um, uh, how a lot of this has unfolded and continues to unfold from a media standpoint does not surprise me and is not new to me. Um, I have, you know, I do not look around my industry uh, with pride a lot of days. And I think at the heart of all of this, and I... I try to say this without sounding like the old man ranting, but social media, how that works has had such a harmful effect, I think, on how things are reported and the actual process of journalism itself. And like reiterating what I said earlier, fans aren't supposed to get it right. Fans are supposed to get excited. It's up to me to, to get things right and, and provide proper information. Now, that involves having legitimate sources and confirming things, building relationships, uh, which is something that takes time. I'm not a natural networky type of person. I don't walk into a room and know everyone's name. I'm, you know, three years later, I might have a better relationship than the yappy, you know, networky type, but I, I'm a slow build type of person, just knowing myself. And you that's make a great a fifth impression. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, it's a great fifth impression. The, the first one will be sweaty and nervous. I'll be talking too much. But it's something I really value and respect, reporters who can do it right and who put in that work. Um, kind of like I alluded to earlier, with the rush to have snippets of a story, I think is problematic. The rush to have 1%, 8%, 12% of a story. There have been a lot of times over the years where I have sat right here knowing that I had a little bit of a story, knowing that I had something, I was trying to confirm it and couldn't. And th it, there's always such a temptation to get your name on it, to get mm -hmm. some Twitter clout and to get some love from that. Um, the biggest change for me personally in my job the last couple of years is 
and it, this comes with some level of security confidence is knowing that Twitter doesn't pay me. Uh, I MLB.com pays me. MLB network pays me. They do not pay me for tweets that I puke out for free to get free points quickly. They pay me to write a story. And now more than ever, and when I say this, it surprises people. It surprises my friends. It surprises journalism students when I talk to them. I do not care about breaking news. I don't spend time on breaking news. Um, it's it's one thing to do it as a beat reporter. It's a completely different world. If you're an Adam Schefter or an Adrian Wojnarowski, you've got three phones in each hand. That's a, it's a, that's a type of brain I don't have and I could never have. I do not spend energy on that because when a story breaks, it takes me one or two minutes to confirm that, yes, this is okay. And then I'll try to write a better story than you. That's how I like to do this job. Um, I recognize that chasing those things, not a weakness, but it's not my strength. It's, you know, not everybody has a three point shot and a post up game. You know, I, I realize that that's not always my strength. And the, in, the amount of time and energy that that takes uh, can be pretty unhealthy at some point. So that corner of our business is one that I try to live next door to. But getting back to the question, because I, I want to answer that actually, is that, yeah, the, the past week has not done anything to improve how I view the industry around me. And not only have I seen what happens when reports go wrong, uh, you've also seen how that can impact fans and, and their hopes, their days, and frankly, fans' moods. You know, there are enough mm. reasons to have a bad day. <laughs> you don't need to be crushed by sports, too. You know, let, let the game crush you. That's fine. Let fantasy football crush you. I, my whole day got ruined two days ago because of a stupid fantasy football thing. That's fine. Jalen Hurts, I hate you, but. Yeah, it was a stinker on Sunday. That's terrible. I needed five points. He got me four. I'm not bitter. Um, but I, I think that it's. I'm worried about the the divide that I see between media and fans. And I'm worried in a way because I, I understand it. You know, fans are not wrong there whatsoever. But I think it's extremely important for, for people like me to remember all the time that what I do is A, not essential. You know, the pandemic taught us that word essential. If we get a notification on our screen right now, an asteroid is coming for Earth. 10,000 people fit in the bunker. I'm not in that bunker. My God, I'm not in the top six billion on that list, right? I work in entertainment side of, of media. I'm not covering government affairs. I'm covering baseball, you know? And You're like, Jay's season canceled. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the only reason that I have this job is because of readers on MLB.com, is because of viewers on MLB Network, and because of passionate Blue Jays fans on Twitter and socials. I'm, I'm not really on Instagram right now, but Twitter. You know, so I think it's important to respect why I have this gig. And I wish it was more important to honor uh, the relationship between media and the public, which is to inform accurately and uh, keep a level of respect. Such a great answer. It's so weird how it's funny because just as a fan, like, I honestly don't care Who's first? No. And it's become such a huge it thing matter. in the it's industry. Cool. You didn't start Dude. following that barber when we <laughs> signed. Uh, yeah. BK, I am. I do. I do follow BK and he nailed it. <laughs> it takes me back to, you know, like I, I hear stories from some of the, the writers who I work with who have been covering teams far longer than me or are retired. And you hear these stories of, you know, one newspaper in town got a trade the night before, just before publish. So the next morning, one newspaper had nothing and the other had the full trade. That, I mean, you get caught with your pants down for a full 24 hours. Mm -hmm. On Twitter now, what do you own the story for? Five minutes? You get a few other reporters saying, sources confirm, first reported by at Keegan Matheson. Yeah. Um, what am I going to do? Am I going to take that tweet to the bar and try to pay my bill with it? It gets me nowhere. You know, I, I am. When I was a bit younger, even up until a couple of years ago, 
there was there's a lot of insecurity in this job because it's a public facing job and it's a job full of people who play a part on Twitter and aren't really that person in real life. So there's there's a lot of insecurity in this gig. And it's taken me a while to get to a place where I can just look around and say, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm secure enough, confident enough, at least, you know, <laughs> one out of 10. Um, I don't need to be chasing things like that that don't serve me or my coverage for, for readers. You know, I, if, if I naturally through my reporting, and this has happened a few times where I'm working on a story and I naturally start to hear things, then I'll chase it. I think that's more my style, but rushing sprinting breathlessly and sweating to Twitter to get a couple minutes of being first on a story. Uh, I think we have seen over and over and over and over uh, does more harm than good long-term Jeff Passon will tweet it five minutes later and everyone's going to care about him because they trust him because mm, he's uh, a thousand. Great point. Great point. Uh, great answer. Okay. Uh, Next one comes from Jeremy, who says, on Blair and Barker a few weeks ago, they discussed trading Mr. Springer. Uh, where would some landing spots be? Who would be in on George Springer? And would we be able to trade for valuable pieces back that help the team win now? Or would it just be about getting out from under that contract to free up that money to spend elsewhere? If that were to ever happen, I think the Blue Jays would need to eat some pretty serious cash. And I think this is probably a conversation we circle back to in a year when Vladdy right. and Bo are a year away. Um, the Blue Jays, you know, coming up, you know, looking down the highway, they do have an off ramp out of all of this. You know, it's um, even just for the sake of baseball. And I like covering good baseball. You know, hope that doesn't happen. It's you want to see competitive teams here right now. I don't know where that would make sense because they'd be looking for a team like themselves mm-hmm. who's trying to compete needs a veteran who can be a leadoff guy. Springer is he's not his old self in the outfield. It's you don't see the same speed and the same athleticism getting to the ball, but his ball skills when he's around the ball are still incredible. Like there were so many times last season, I'd be watching him run to a ball. I'd be thinking, Ooh, that's, that's not 100% of him. And he would make an incredible play at the ball. At this point, I, I'm not sure where that would line up in 2024. One year from now, I think that's a bit more of a conversation that we're going to hear and maybe rightfully so. But at this point that would involve eating a lot of money and likely doing so to help out another contender which I don't know if the Blue Jays are in the business of just yet. I, I don't think that would line up. But Springer has, what is it? It's, it's just under 75 million bucks left. Mm-hmm. Uh, that contract, when the Blue Jays went six years, which I believe was one more year than others were offering, that contract, like all big contracts, was always going to start really well and then decline. You hope it's just a smooth decline in those contracts and that you're not dealing with someone who's you know gone Troy Tulowitzki route, for example. Springer still has some left. I think last year is close to the truth of who he is as a player now, but I don't see it fitting this window. If you're trading Springer, you're eating a lot of cash and moving in a less competitive direction. But next year, maybe we talk about it. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> but you're right. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> you're right. The, the off-rank comment is very apparent. Uh, the proper uh, response to most things I write or say these days. I hate it, but... Uh. <laughs> All right. Second last one here comes from Bradley, who just says, uh, reunion with Teoscar, Guriel, or both? Get the vibes back, you know? It, it, it's... I wonder how this conversation would be different if you changed both of their names, you know, if neither of them, if you just had their numbers, their metrics, their reputations, but it was a different guy because I know that both the Oscar and Lourdes are associated with this recent era. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that Teoscar may be viewed a little more favorably you know, among fans. Lourdes maybe didn't have as many of those bigger moments or the big power surges, but still some teams going to be very happy with him in terms of looking for a left fielder. You, I mean, you can do a lot worse than Lord Escuriel. You know, you wish there was more power there for how incredibly gifted he is as an athlete. 
Teoscar's contract probably interests me more than any free agent. You're going to have some teams that think he can legitimately hit for that power and some teams that think he's barely a DH on their team. Because when he misses, my God, does he miss. But when he makes contact, his natural power, even when he was with the Blue Jays, was right up there close to Vladdy. Watching him take batting practice was bananas. You know, there are some guys who just have crazy, crazy batting practices. And he was one of those. But a reunion, I don't put it likely. Uh, I don't consider it to be likely in either case. But uh, in terms of picking one, I think based on the deals they're going to get, point me to Teoscar on a shorter one if it comes down there. And, uh, you know, that, that would help the dugout vibes a little bit as well. You, you might just need to bring back the jackets. You know, I, I know that would cripple the franchise because things weren't being taken <laughs> as, as seriously anymore, but, uh, you know, he might need to bring the wardrobe back with him. Fair enough. Okay. Last one of the day, uh, comes from Joel who says, has the Otani contract ruined baseball? My answer is yes. The league should being the effort for the next 10 years it's the only way to lower his ops <laughs> <laughs> oh man what's uh what's that that phrase that people have been loving lately is it good for baseball yeah. my goodness it's uh you know what i don't think we're gonna see anyone copy this contract at least so uh, you know my, a couple of my baseline stances on it are Number one, if he signed this same deal in Toronto, people would be saying it was a stroke of financial genius. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think anyone would be worrying uh, about, oh my goodness, what does Justin Trudeau have to say about this and his, you know, tax ministers. Um, Surely a tax minister isn't a real job. That shows how much (laughs) I know about how this country works. Um, But also, Otani being in such a unique place where he's going to make bank off endorsements, um, this contract is only in consideration for people like him uh, who are going to make money anyways. And I don't know much about Shohei because nobody does. He seems from afar, like he could live pretty simply, Like he's a guy who wouldn't surprise me. We find out he lives in the apartment next to me here, you know, just renting it for a couple grand a month. He's happy. It has everything he needs. There's a gym upstairs, you know, imagine him living in Toronto and playing in LA. Just to spite oh, the Blue Jays, <laughs> absolutely right across tax from Geek. Just tax evasion, but it's uh, but man, oh man, what a uh, what a pursuit that was. The contract was even more than I expected. I was I would have guessed probably six twenty, six thirty at that point. But the man, the the contract going in, it's scary. People aren't going to like it because the Dodgers are going to beat the crap out of this league for a few years. But uh, it's a contract I think everyone would love to have on their team. And it's, uh, I, I tell you, there there was a time, you know, this is a, this is another thing, you know, one last thing that I, you know, I don't love about media, but it, it's the hindsight kind of uh, rewriting of history of, it was always going to be this. I knew all along, say it first then, you know, I, I, yeah. I said the morning of, on Friday morning during the mass hysteria, um, I, I would have put it over 50% for the Blue Jays, just based on their interest, based on the fact he went to Dunedin, which mm-hmm. based on all my time there, my God, you don't go to Dunedin unless you need to, unless you really want to. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking at my 45-night hotel stay reservation every day, just shaking. You don't go yeah. there unless you're serious. But it's... Uh, it was a fascinating day where the Blue Jays had a real level of interest and in the, this is the last thing people want to hear, but part of my job is being ready for news before the news happens, which means that for a couple of days, I had a story written about the Blue Jays missing out on Shohei Otani. And it did get to the point where I am looking at in a tab just to the left of our zoom on the story I wrote about the Blue Jays signing Shohei Otani. And I've written a thousand of those over the years of Kevin Gossman, the second no hitter in Blue Jays history. And then I delete it because he gives up a single. Uh, the that Keegan one, Matheson draft folder is oh, it's, something it's I gonna, would love to read. And honestly, they're, all, like, they're always my best stories. You know, they're <laughs> all the good ones. But uh, that's one I'll keep print off, tuck inside somewhere. And 
a long time from now, it'll show up in a book somewhere. But it was uh, even sitting here writing it. You know, I was sitting at that you know counter behind me, you know, the, the other part of my 20 square feet you can see here. Sitting there writing it, thinking, am I really seriously writing these words right now, preparing for this to potentially happen? And uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that would uh, make much at auction in Canada right now. But uh, <laughs> there you go. The, the story that you uh, never want to see, I guess. Fair enough. Hey, does this, uh, we are only less than three years away now from the end of this current CBA. Does this show hey contract loophole manipulation, however you want to phrase it, does this have a potential impact on like some of the owners of the smaller clubs to be like, this mm. is some BS. We're get like, we can, like you said, Dodgers are going to bully the league for the next few years. Is yeah, this... especially if they win a couple World Series. I, I think it will come up a bit in terms of how it relates to the luxury tax yeah. and how it's calculated in terms of how much money counts against the tax. Um, you know, I'm, I'm you know, looking at, at the wall right here. I have my creative writing degree, so I'm not the man on a <laughs> on a CBA taxes, luxury taxes. It it's it's become a little bit more part of my job lately as the Blue Jays are getting up into that. Uh for my early years, it was not, but <laughs> I think that is where other teams will really be focused. Whereas the public is a little more focused on the the grand numbers, the more specific focus, I think of other teams, mm -hmm. if they are upset and remain upset for a few years will be how that's calculated, how it impacts the luxury tax, because if the Dodgers are able to go out and sign a Yamamoto and sign a Juan Soto next year or a Roki Sasaki a few years from now. It's teams aren't going to get any more happy with the deal. And if you're a small market team, that's uh that's tough to look at when you're kind of scrapping and fighting to get up there. They so, may need to at least change the name from competitive balance tax to something else. <laughs> something. A lot of baseball needs a good rebranding, really. <laughs> yes, they need to let uh, let let some of the writers, let the creatives into the room. Damn it, there it's too many go. businessmen making these naming decisions. Not enough flair. There you go. All, all right, right, let's end it there. Keegan, thank you so very much for being so generous with your time, man. Again, we always appreciate you coming on and always enjoy talking some baseball and shooting the shit with you. So uh, appreciate it. A very happy holidays merry christmas all that good stuff merry and christmas, uh we'll bug you in the new year hopefully we can get you back on definitely fellas enjoyed it uh enjoy the holidays hopefully there's some uh some news to distract everybody and uh yeah we'll, we'll talk again soon when i'm in a uh, some florida hotel room behind me and i'm burnt red and uh Sounds good. Day surrounded by humidity your favorite thing <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> back in my back in my happy place i think february 11th i fly down so uh <laughs> Not at all counting down the days. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Keegan. Take Cheers, care. man. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Walk Off Podcast with Scott Belford and Adam Mack with a new episode every Friday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>